my people. It is Palm Sunday, and this is reason to celebrate. We know a lot is coming in this Passion Week. Let me just um, bring us up to speed here a bit for where we're going to go in today's message. Because the kids beautifully read uh, that whole passage from the Gospel of Matthew, I'm just going to pick up with the shouts of the praise here. So I'm just going to kind of skip ahead here, and we're going to hear what they said here. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna. Somebody say Hosanna. All right, just got to make sure you're still with me. Hosanna to the son of David. That's not all. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now hear this part. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked. This is the question. This is the question we're going to be looking into today. The answer is actually embedded in the text, and we're going to unpack it here in just a moment. It's so beautiful. Who is this? They get it partially right. They get a glimpse of it, but they don't get the fullness of it, of course, because they're just giving a quick answer. The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. He is that, but he is so much more. This is the word of our Lord. Amen. Amen. As Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on what we know and celebrate as Palm Sunday, leading us into the Passion Week, not passion in the way that we might normally use it, the passion, um, the excruciating pain and sacrifice that Jesus is about to make. This is walking us into that, which of course is setting us up for Good Friday and then the resurrection and Easter celebration. But as they do this, of course, Jesus is kind of getting to his point of no return. He's setting into motion the events that will lead to his crucifixion. Now, let me say, of course, and I quite intentionally didn't say end in his crucifixion, because does the story end in the crucifixion? No, 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 no. What we know is that crucifixion is setting us up for resurrection, and resurrection is setting up for new creation, a new creation, the resurrection of our bodies, the colliding of heaven and earth, of all things coming together in the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption. This is our hope. This is our faith. This is the rock that we stand on. And this is what is being set up in this week. But Jesus knows that he's setting this plan into motion. Make no mistake, Jesus is fully aware of all that he has done, all that he is doing, all that is about to be done in the name of our salvation and redemption. None of this, of course, is catching Jesus off guard. He knows as he's going into Jerusalem that the religious leaders are already conspiring to betray him. He knows that Judas is going to set up that betrayal. He knows that Peter is going to deny him. He knows on that night in the Garden of Gethsemane that as he sees those torches coming closer, that temple guards, I always say, always beware when there's temple guards. You know something's wrong when there's temple guards. When the temple guards are coming to get him, he knows he's going to willingly lay down, hand himself over. He knows he's going to be put on trial in that kangaroo court, that mockery of justice and all that is good and all that is right. He knows that Pilate and that Herod are going to kind of play this ping pong back and forth. Who's going to make the decision? How is this going to go down? We know that Pilate will say he washes his hands of this, but that his cowardice actually sets up the crucifixion. We knows, he knows the guards are going to beat him. He knows he will be nailed to that cross. He knows, he knows that this is all part of God's plan for redemption. But the plans that were set in motion are reflected in this passage 
even from the prophet Zechariah, behold, the Lord, the Savior, coming on the coal, uh, on a foal, the, the colt, or whatever, however it phrases, uh, the, 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 the foal of a donkey, whatever it was. They knew that all of this was being set in motion. And Jesus now doesn't turn away from it. But what we read here, and this is what struck me this year reading through these passages, he knows that his hour is coming. If you look at the ministry of Jesus leading up to this point, he was always making this phrase. He's always saying, my hour has not come. Even in the gospel of John, at the very first miracle, the turning of the water into wine at the wedding in Canaan, he has that moment where he says, woman, he calls his mom woman. No, we shouldn't try that, by the way. I can't, I, I, I'm 50 years old and I can't get away with calling my wife woman. You know, but Jesus can, he's like, woman, my hour has not come. And he will repeat that phrase throughout his ministry. My hour has not come. But as soon as we enter this week, Jesus keeps then talking about his hour, his hour, his hour. All through the gospel of Matthew, the hour is upon us. And then we know in that garden before those temple guards finally take him, what does he say? He finally makes that de the declaration. My hour has come. Jesus has been on this course from the foundations of creation. And it's going to meet its culmination in that cross and then in resurrection. But it just strikes me how Jesus knew this was all a part of God's plan. Jesus was on this schedule. And it just strikes me that serious followers of Christ need to recognize the schedule of God on our lives. Did you know as a Christ follower, you're supposed to be on a schedule? Who here likes to be on a schedule? Who's a schedule kind of a person? That is not many people. Who here is like, I wanna live free, fancy free, fly by the seat of my pants, do whatever. Uh, that, hey, you know, that's how God wires us. Some of us, some of us are lawyers. We got billable hours. We're gonna mark like every five minutes, you know, like, no, no, I'm getting paid for this. Others of us, maybe we're gonna be in the throes of parenting. We just need to have years <laughs> unscheduled to be available, to be present, to care for the people that God has entrusted to us. But what we see, of course, in the ministry of Jesus, that he was on this kind of this divine schedule, bringing things to a fulfillment. Now, now, mind you, Jesus's divine schedule had many, many wonderful things. He had seasons when he was not abandoned by his disciples, but he was surrounded by his disciples. He had seasons where he was, yeah, turning water and wine and at wedding celebrations. He had moments when he was performing miracles, crowds were coming, they were hearing the word of God, they were actually repenting, turning, finding salvation and living for God. He had wonderful, wonderful seasons of ministry. I hope our lives have wonderful seasons of ministry according to the divine plan of God. But recognize when you see God's divine appointments, God's divine plans coming together in our lives. It has to be by appointment. I mean, how else could a kid who grew up in Johnstown, PA, I was just talking to someone about this morning, meet a Dutch Canadian redheaded girl who came to the States to go to school and somehow figure out a way for her to fall in love with him. I mean, it's gotta be the divine plan of God. God has divine plans. God brought to me Eden. He now brought me a son-in-law, Thomas. He brought me Karis. He brought me Justin. God is bringing divine plans, divine appointments, divine moments in our lives together. And we 
we should celebrate when they are filled with joy and laughter and wonder and celebration and praise. Hallelujah, amen. I hope my life leans toward that kind of plan, right? But let's be honest. Let's just look at reality. God's plans does involve sacrifice. God's plans for our lives, for what he needs to do in us, what he wants to do through us, so that we can abide more closely with him, it's going to take us through dark valleys, the shadow of the valley of death, difficult, extenuating circumstances in our lives. And when that comes, the key for us getting through them, like Jesus is going to get through this, is simply recognizing, God, this must be according to your plan. I will go along with it. I will submit to it. I will be a part of it. I'm not saying it's fun. I, you don't have to like trick God. You're not fooling God. I mean, and, and I don't think God needs to hear from you. Oh, this is great that I'm going through a hard season. <laughs> no, you just say, God, if you're bringing me through some divine scheduled appointments and circumstances in life, I'm gonna trust you. Just the way we see Jesus, trusting the Father, trusting the plan of redemption, trusting that this is coming together for our salvation. He... I mean, think about, think about Jesus going through this Palm Sunday. I mean, there's a sense where he could be scoffing at it, right? <laughs> oh, you're shouting Hosanna right now? I know what you're gonna be shouting come Good Friday. Crucify, crucify. I mean, he could have been an, a, a cynic about it all. But we see as he's receiving the praise, he's in, even as he knows he's about to go into the passion into the greatest sacrifice of all for it. It, it. It's this time of year, actually, that I always like to remind you the brilliance of people of faith that have gone before us. And taking a step back from all this, they, they actually, they just understood that <clears throat> this is all part of the great humiliation and the great exaltation of Jesus Christ. And it's very important for us to remember these two kind of seasons, these two divinely scheduled appointments and, and, and working out the plan of God in the life of Jesus. And we know that the humiliation, of course, starts at Christmas. As much as we make Christmas about twinkling lights and presents and fun parties and everything, which it should be, which it's awesome, the incarnation, God coming to us, becoming one with us, is the beginning of humiliation because we know for divinity to take on humanity is a humiliation. Now that's not saying we aren't image bearers. We should honor the image of God. We should celebrate who we are and how we are created. There's beauty, there's dignity uh, in all of God's creatures, in all of God's men and women. Of, of course, we, we celebrate that, but let, let's be honest. These human bodies, they age, they bleed, they break, they die. There's a humiliation in God becoming one of us but that only shows us how much God loves us and wants to be with us and us with him, that he is willing to take this on. And as we enter in this Passion Week, in a sense, the humiliation is reaching its culmination because there is nothing, of course, more humiliating than crucifixion. And there's nothing more humiliating than death. And Jesus will receive that humiliation on our behalf. But of course, we know, <clears throat> excuse me, that all this is setting us up for Easter Sunday. But now let me say that, just this is the plug. I would just encourage every serious Christ follower, if you've never marked Good Friday, the crucifixion and the death and the burial of Jesus Christ, do, do consider joining us Friday night, 7 p.m. It's awful, it's awful. 
but it'll move you and it could change you and it could touch you in a very profound way if you simply walk to that cross and witness that death that he took on our behalf. So again, there's the plug. There's something awful but amazing always uh, about Good Friday. Is anybody in agreement with that, by the way? Just, uh, yeah, okay, all right. A couple of people are like, yeah, like, so please. Uh, but okay, that sets us up for the exaltation and that's what we all love and that's what we're about. We are people of the exaltation. We're people of the resurrection. We are people of new creation and, and, and it is amazing. Okay, that said, <clears throat> what Jesus is setting up here and coming into Holy Week, this Passion Week, is, is perfectly captured. The answer to that question, the crowd answered in part, who is this man? It's actually, in a sense, embedded in those praises. I believe that Matthew, knowing his audience, was very intentional about these three statements. Because certainly other things are being shouted, other things were being said, different variations. But very specifically, Matthew highlights three things that are said. They're calling out Hosanna to the son of David. The son of David means that Jesus is somehow being seen as the coming king, right? He's the coming as the king. They're also sitting, shout, shouting out Hosanna in the highest. Who was serving in the highest place of the temple? The priests were always in the highest place of worship in the temple. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Who came in the name of the Lord? The prophets before the prophets. So somehow we understand that Jesus is bringing together the fullness of this plan of redemption. He will be for us the prophet. He will be for us the high priest. He will be for us the king that we all need. And because he is all of these things, he alone is the Messiah, the Christ. Let's just break that down a little bit here so we have a deeper understanding of what it means when we sing when we shout, when we wave our palm branches and we say, um, Hosanna in the highest, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, the son of David. What does it mean that Jesus is the prophet? Well, we know that Jesus would be the final prophet. The prophets were those who were called by God, like we looked at in Ezekiel last week, they would simply bring the revelation, the word of God to the people. When they needed a word, when they needed an instruction, when they needed an encouragement, they got a word from God. <clears throat> Praise be to God that he gives us a word. He gives us a revelation. He gives us instruction. We should take seriously the revelation that God has given us in the scriptures. This is a beautiful gift to us. But Jesus isn't just the word of God. Jesus is the word of God made flesh. Jesus became the word of God embodied, incarnate for us. And one of the good things to understand, one of the important things to understand about Jesus being this final prophet is all along his ministry, of course, he was saying how he wasn't just delivering the word of God. The things he said showed that I am the word of God. And that's just covered in those I am statements. So many beautiful I am statements. He says, of course, I am the vine. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. I am the shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Not, not only that, I am the gate. I am the doorway that you need to salvation and eternal life. I am the light. I am the light of the world. I am, as we're going to celebrate in our communion later in the service here, just a few moments, I am the bread of life. Take and eat. I am this cup of new a covenant, this new salvation being poured out for you. And of course, you got to love, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like nobody else can, should, or ever say that. What kind of a person says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. 
I mean, again, as it's been reflected upon by many others, I mean, he was a liar, he was a lunatic, or if it, what he says is true, he is the Lord. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we remember and we celebrate that Jesus is the prophet coming to us. Also in those shouts of praise, we see that he is, of course, the great high priest. He is the great high priest. One of the first things that was said about Jesus came from his cousin, John, as he was heading towards his own baptism for the fulfillment of all righteousness. What did John say? He said, behold, the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Jesus wasn't just going to be a priest to sacrifice a lamb to temporarily atone for our sins and to somehow make us right with God in kind of this transient uh, temporal way. No, he would be the final sacrifice, the perfect unblemished lamb for us. And that is so beautifully captured. And uh, in, in the past, we kind of went, went much deeper into this. But the fact that he's not coming in on this war horse, but he's coming in on that humble donkey, right? I reflected once, and I still think about it all the time, uh, that old song by the Rolling Stones, I'll never be your beast of burden. You know that one? I'll never, ever, never, ever, never Never, never. I mean, they really want to make the point. I will never be your beast of burden. Don't you dare. Not our Jesus. I will be your beast of burden. I will take the load. I will bear the sin. I will absorb the death. I'll absorb the jeers. I'll absorb the hate, the sneers, the casting of stones the whipping, the beating, I will take those, the nail, I will be the beast of burden to bring salvation to you. Oh, I mean, is there anything more beautiful than that? And it's so beautiful that Jesus, our high priest, will be that beast of burden to take away our sins so that we could be made right now and forever with God. So we have Jesus, he's the living word. He is the prophet we all need. He is this great final high priest that we need to finally atone for our sins. But he's more than that. And this is what's really now coming to light. People are wanting to make him king and set up this earthly rule. And he's kind of accepting it in a way, but in a way that they're not going to fully get. He's like, all right, I'm going to be your king. But we know that the kingdom is coming in a profound new way after this season of kindness and mercy and grace being extended to us because we know what the exaltation of Jesus sets up. Yes, he was raised from the grave, but that isn't just what we celebrate at Easter. As we go on through our year, we recognize that we are gonna celebrate his ascension, that Jesus returned to heaven and he sits now at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and he is right now interceding on our behalf. Jesus right now is praying for you, brother and sister. Jesus right now is interceding, praying for, advocating for. He is on your side, brother and sister, at the right hand of God the Father. He is reigning in heaven. And what is promised, of course, that he will, he will return, right? This is what we're praying for. This is what we hope for. This is the foundation of our faith, that Christ will come again. The dead will be rise to new life. Heaven and earth will collide and we will reign forever with saints from all ages in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah and amen. We, we don't ex exist just for what is coming. We exist for this to come crashing into our world, into our lives now. This is why we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We embody now being the kingdom people of God. We embody his grace, his kindness, his 
love. We also look forward to the justice, the reign, the rule of God when all things will be set right. It's not just then, it's here and now in the kingdom of Christ made alive through his people. I get excited about it, just a little bit excited about it. I hope you do too, because this is what the world needs now more than ever. They need, our world needs, I mean, I, I can't go too far off script, but we think about Nashville and maybe we have maybe we've already started to forget about it but between our worship services there's been another mass shooting the world needs people crying out beat those swords and spears into plowshares let's make a harvest of the fruits of the kingdom of god instead of spilling more blood onto the soil Let's be a people of kindness and mercy. Let's be a people who pray for justice. Let's be a people who work for the redemption of all of God's children. Let's give people who give people a reason to have hope, a reason to have faith, a reason to love, a reason to forgive, a reason to show mercy, a reason to be kind. The, uh, I mean, when, the, when, when could a preacher not say this? We've always said this, but oh, the world needs it. The world needs us to be this kingdom people embodying the rule and the reign of Christ in our lives here and now. Well, of course, all of this is, is, is all, well, we'll say this too. All of this so far is a joke to Rome. I mean, Rome could be looking upon this Palm Sunday, this ticker tape parade, and they'd be like, oh, that's how you welcome a king? A king on a donkey instead of a war horse? Oh, you, 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 you lay down your dirty clo cloaks and... and coats and stuff on the ground. Oh, you just cut branches, you know, fr from trees and wave them. Like Rome could have like looked upon this as a kind of like a joke. Oh, this is because when Rome did it, I mean, they did it. I mean, they, they was, it was a display of power, but how powerful the display of grace and love that is coming through Palm Sunday and what Jesus is embodying here. Well, let me get on to the point I really want to make here, of course, is that after those shouts of acclamation and praise, um, you know, I get so excited about that. I kind of, maybe I've missed this part in the past, so I wanted to like latch onto this here for, for our final few minutes of, of reflecting on the word together. I, I just love, it just captured me how it said, the whole city was stirred. So I got to thinking about what does that mean, that stirring that was coming up. Interestingly enough, uh, for what it's worth, uh, that appears in just a few other places in the Gospel of Matthew. The first time we hear about the stirring in a city actually comes at the birth of Christ. In the Gospel of Matthew, at the birth of Christ, remember this, these magi, these wise men come from afar. And where do they go to meet a newborn king? They go to the highest hill. They go to the highest uh, castle, you know. They go and they meet this guy, Herod. Herod, we know, kind of plays the game. Oh, go find out where he's at, and I'll come worship him too. And we know he was conspiring to already want to kill the Christ. But as they left Herod and they go out, because he said, go find them and tell me where you find them, it says that the whole city was stirred. And then we read about the city of Jerusalem being stirred as Jesus is coming back in. But then that same word gets translated stirred or shaken, and then that happens the moment that Christ is killed. It says that the, the, the earth, literally the sun was blotted out, the earth became dark, the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom, and it said that the earth itself shook the death of Jesus Christ. 
And then we hear that the earth itself shakes again at the resurrection when the stone of the tomb is rolled away. But that's a very interesting word I've been alluding to these past uh, three or four appearances. The Greek word for it, this is, this, is where I, I, this is where I always earn my money in going through seminary when I teach you a Greek word. Seismo. Sound like anything you've ever heard? I never taught this before. Seismic, yeah, yeah, yeah. That seismic shaking. You know, we reserve that word for literally for earthquakes now. But that's what Matthew's telling us. This is shaking, this is quaking, this is moving the very foundations of creation, what is happening here in the ministry of Jesus Christ. His birth shook the earth. His entering into the city shakes the earth. His death will literally shake the foundations of the earth. His resurrection will shake the earth in new creation. Shake the person next to you. Go ahead, if they're asleep, somebody's asleep, just give them a shake. Somebody say, shake and wake. Somebody say, shake and wake. It's time to shake, and it's time. Anybody know what I'm talking about, Talladega Nights? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, come on. I mean, am I like the only person connected to pop culture in this entire con? Shake and bake, baby, shake and bake. I know, but we're not as... What's that? <laughs> not first or last. That's right. Amen. Somebody gets me. Shake and wake, baby. Got to have a little fun here. This is what is happening. Shake and wake. Jesus said, it's time to shake and wake. Wake up, O sleeper. Right? Wake up, O sleeper. If you are not awake, if you are not aware, if you don't understand what's happening, now is the hour. It's time to shake and wake and understand what is unfolding for us in the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ. What is shaking us, what is waking us is salvation. It's the very power of God being revealed for us. He is shaking us. He is waking us. Oh, my friends, I hope that this week, I hope that this coming Passion Week, God is going to shake you and that God is going to wake you. Maybe God is shaking something in your life. Maybe something's going on in your life that is actually shaking the very foundation of your life. And maybe that's hard. Maybe that's scary. That's scary when the earth shakes. That's scary when the bottom falls out. That's terrifying when God is taking you to a new place, but he's taking us to new creation. Never doubt that he's shaking us and he's waking us and he wants to take us to resurrection and new creation. And you have to go through some shaking, awaking things for that to truly take root in our hearts. And what I wanna shake and wake you to right now is that you will answer this question, who is this Jesus? Let me tell you, let me tell you. Can I just tell you what I hope you will say in response? I hope you'll say, I know who this Jesus is now. He is the prophet. He is the one who brought the words of God, the words of life. He is the priest. He is the one who made the sacrifice for us. He laid down his own life. He is now the risen, reigning, and returning king. And I will serve him with my whole life. But he's so much more, my friends, and I could preach for days on it, and well, I'll preach for a lifetime on it if you let me, but oh, my friends, he is so much more than that. We know that this Jesus is the healer, bringing healing and wholeness to those who are weeping and sick. We know that he is the teacher teaching us how to get through this world. We know that he is the friend of sinners. My friends, my people, if you are stuck in guilt, if you're lost in shame, if you are struggling with your past, if you feel lost in your present, he does not look on you with condemnation. 
He is your friend. He is not shocked. He is not surprised. He is not turned off. He does not see the sin, the brokenness, the hurt, the pain in your life and, and, and cower and turn and say, oh, you are so, oh. No, he says, look upon that cross and understand, I'm the friend of all who are lost and stuck in sin. And more than that, he says he wants to be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He doesn't just want to call you friend. He wants to call you my brother, my sister. Come to me and become a part of the family of God. And I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to walk through one of the most beautiful ways with this invitation to say, here is how we remember, how we taste, how we touch, how we experience. We are a part of the family of God now. Because Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, our friend, our brother, he gave us a way. He gave us an invitation. Because we know in this upcoming week, he'll gather with his disciples in that upper room. And as they were prepared to gather to celebrate yet another Passover, Jesus began to point them towards the new reality that was unfolding before them. Oh, how could they even begin to grasp what was unfolding before them? But as they gathered in that upper room, Jesus all of a sudden went off script of the normal Passover celebration. And again, on Good Friday, we'll walk through some of the beautiful steps and the sequences of that celebration. But he kind of went off script. And, and then during the course of that meal, he took a loaf of bread. And then all of a sudden he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Then after supper, he took a cup and he lifted it up, saying, This cup is now the new covenant which is sealed in my blood, which is shed for you in the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. The apostle Paul then reflecting on all of this, he said, My people, do you recognize, do you realize every time you take this bread and you drink of this cup, what you're doing is you're proclaiming the saving death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. That's when the people of God seem to understand, oh, every time we gather, we should accept and receive this invitation of Jesus. We should come to this table. We should take of this bread. We should drink of this cup. We should understand this is how Jesus gets in us, and we get more in Jesus Christ, and we become the body of Christ more and more, the people he's calling us and creating us to be. My people, these are the gifts of God for the people of God, and you are welcome not by my invitation, but by the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ.